Section 13 of A Journey Round My Room by Xavier de Maistre. Translated by Henry Atwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 42 Aspasia's Buskin. I was sitting near my fire after dinner, enveloped in my habit de voyage, and freely abandoning myself to its influence. The hour for starting was, I knew, drawing nigh, but the fumes generated by digestion rose to my brain, and so obstructed the channels along which thoughts glide on their way from the senses, that all communication between them was intercepted. And as my senses no longer transmitted any idea to my brain, the latter, in its turn, could no longer emit any of that electric fluid with which the ingenious Dr. Valley resuscitates dead frogs. After reading this preamble, you will easily understand why my head fell on my chest, and why the muscles of the thumb and forefinger of my right hand, being no longer excited by the electric fluid, became so relaxed that a volume of the works of the Marquis Caraccioli, which I was holding tightly between these two fingers, imperceptibly eluded my grasp and fell upon the hearth. I had just had some coolers, and my conversation with the persons who had left the room had turned upon the death of Dr. Signer, an eminent physician then lately deceased. He was a learned and hard-working man, a good naturalist, and a famous botanist. My thoughts were occupied with the merits of this skilful man. And yet, I said to myself, were it possible for me to evoke the spirits of those whom he has, perhaps, dismissed to the other world, who knows but that his reputation might suffer some diminution? I travelled insensibly to a dissertation on medicine and the progress it has made since the time of Hippocrates. I asked myself whether the famous personages of antiquity who died in their beds, as Pericles, Plato, and the celebrated Aspasia and Hippocrates died, after the manner of ordinary mortals, of some putrid or inflammatory fever, and whether they were bled and crammed with specifics. To say why these four personages came into my mind rather than any others is out of my power, for who can give reasons for what he dreams? All that I can say is that my soul summoned the doctor of Cos the doctor of Turin, and the famous statesman who did such great things and committed such grave faults. But as to his grateful friend, I humbly own that it was the other who beckoned her to come. Still, however, when I think of the interview, I am tempted to feel some little pride, for it is evident that in this dream the balance in favour of reason was as four to one. Pretty fair this, methinks, for a lieutenant. However this may be, whilst giving myself up to the reflections I have described, my eyes closed and I fell fast asleep. But upon shutting my eyes, the image of the personages of whom I had been thinking remained painted upon that delicate canvas we call memory, and these images, mingling in my brain with the idea of the evocation of the dead, it was not long before I saw advancing in procession Hippocrates, Plato, Pericles, Aspasia, 
and Dr. Signer in his bobwig. I saw them all seat themselves in chairs ranged about the fire. Pericles alone remained standing to read the newspapers. If the discovery of which you speak were true, said Hippocrates to the doctor, and had they been as useful to the healing art as you affirm, I should have seen the number of those who daily descend to the gloomy realm of Pluto decrease. But the ratio of its inhabitants, according to the registers of Minos, which I have myself verified, remains still the same as formerly. Dr. Signer turned to me and said, You have without doubt heard these discoveries spoken of? You know that Harvey discovered the circulation of the blood? That the immortal Spallanzani explained the process of digestion, the mechanism of which is now well understood? And he entered upon a long detail of all the discoveries connected with physic, and of the host of remedies for which we are now indebted to chemistry. In short, he delivered an academical discourse in favour of modern medicine. But am I to believe, I replied, that these great men were ignorant of all you have been telling them, and that their souls, having shuffled off this mortal coil, still meet with any obscurities in nature? Ah, how great is your error! exclaimed the proto-physician of the Peloponnesus. The mysteries of nature are as closely hidden from the dead as from the living. Of one thing we who linger on the banks of the Styx are certain, that he who created all things alone knows the great secret which men vainly strive to solve. And, added he, turning to the doctor, do be persuaded by me to divest yourself of what clings to you of the party spirit you have brought with you from the sojourn of mortals. And since, seeing that Sharon daily ferries over in his boat as many shades as heretofore, the labours of a thousand generations and all the discoveries men have made have not been able to prolong their existence, let us not uselessly weary ourselves in defending an art which, among the dead, cannot even profit its practitioners. Thus, to my great amazement, spoke the famous Hippocrates. Dr. Signer smiled, and as spirits can neither withstand evidence nor silence truth, he not only agreed with Hippocrates, but, blushing after the manner of the disembodied intelligences, he protested that he had himself always had his doubts. Pericles, who had drawn near the window, heaved a deep sigh, the cause of which I divined. He was reading a number of the moniteur, which announced the decadence of the arts and the sciences. He saw illustrious scholars desert their sublime conceptions to invent new crimes, and shuddered at hearing a rabble herd compare themselves with the heroes of generous Greece, and this, forsooth, because they put to death, without shame or remorse, venerable old men, women, and children, and coolly perpetrated the blackest and most useless crimes. Plato, who had listened to our conversation without joining in it, and seeing it brought to a sudden and unexpected close, thus spoke. I can readily understand that the discoveries great men have made in the various branches of natural science 
Do not forward the art of medicine, which can never change the course of nature except at the cost of life. But this will certainly not be so with the researches that have been made in the study of politics. Locke's inquiries into the nature of the human understanding, the invention of printing, the accumulated observations drawn from history, the number of excellent books which have spread sound information even among the lower orders, so many wonders must have contributed to make men better, and the happy republic I conceive, which the age in which I lived caused me to regard as an impracticable dream, no doubt now exists upon the earth. At this question the honest doctor cast down his eyes, and only answered by tears. In wiping them with his pocket-handkerchief, he involuntarily moved his wig on one side, so that a part of his face was hidden by it. "'Ye gods!' exclaimed Aspasia, with a scream. "'How strange a sight! And is it a discovery of one of your great men that has led you to the idea of turning another man's skull into a headdress?' Aspasia, from whom our philosophical dissertations had elicited nothing but gapes, had taken up a magazine of fashions which lay on the chimney-piece, the leaves of which she had been turning over for some time when the doctor's wig made her utter this exclamation. Finding the narrow, rickety seat upon which she was sitting uncomfortable, she had, without the least ceremony, placed her two bare legs, which were adorned with bandolettes, on the straw-bottomed chair between her and me, and rested her elbow upon the broad shoulders of Plato. "'It is no skull,' said the doctor, addressing her and taking off his wig, which he threw on the fire. "'It is a wig, madam, and I know not why I did not cast this ridiculous ornament into the flames of Tartarus when I first came among you. But absurdities and prejudices adhere so closely to our miserable nature that they even follow us sometimes beyond the grave. I took singular pleasure in seeing the doctor thus abjure his physic and his wig at the same moment. I assure you, said Aspasia, that most of the headdresses represented in the pages I have been turning over deserve the same fate as yours. So very extravagant are they. The fair Athenian amused herself vastly in looking over the engravings, and was very reasonably surprised by the variety and oddity of modern contrivances. One figure especially struck her. It was that of a young lady with a really elegant headdress, which Aspasia only thought somewhat too high. But the piece of gauze that covered the neck was so very full you could scarcely see half her face. Aspasia not knowing that these extraordinary developments were produced by starch, could not help showing a surprise which would have been redoubled, but inversely, had the gauze been transparent. But to explain, she said, why women of the present day seem to wear dresses to hide rather than to clothe them. They scarcely allow their faces to be seen, those faces by which alone their sex is to be guessed. So strangely are their bodies disfigured by the eccentric folds of their garments. Among all the figures represented in these pages, I do not find one with the neck, arms and legs bare. 
How is it your young warriors are not tempted to put an end to such a fashion? It would appear, she added, that the virtue of women of this age, which they parade in all their articles of dress, greatly surpasses that of my contemporaries. As she ended these words, Aspasia turned her eyes on me as if to ask a reply. I pretended not to notice this, and in order to give myself an absent air, took up the tongs and pushed away among the embers the shreds of the doctor's wig which had escaped the flames. Observing presently afterwards that one of the bandolettes which clasped Aspasia's buskin had come undone, Permit me, said I, charming lady, and eagerly stooping, stretched out my hands towards the chair on which I had fancied I saw those legs about which even great philosophers went into ecstasies. I am persuaded that at this moment I was very near genuine somnambulism, so real was the movement of which I speak. But Rose, who happened to be sleeping in the chair, thought the movement was meant for her, and jumping nimbly into my arms, she drove back into Hades the famous shades my travelling coat had summoned. Chapter 43 Liberty delightful realm of imagination, which the benevolent being has bestowed upon man to console him for the disappointments he meets with in real life. This day, certain persons on whom I am dependent affect to restore me to liberty, as if they had ever deprived me of it, as if it were in their power to snatch it from me for a single moment, and to hinder me from traversing, at my own good pleasure, the vast space that ever lies open before me. They have forbidden me to go at large in a city, a mere speck, and have left me open to the whole universe in which immensity and eternity obey me. I am now free, then, or rather, I must enter again into bondage. The yoke of office is again to weigh me down, and every step I take must conform with the exigencies of politeness and duty. Fortunate shall I be if some capricious goddess do not again make me forget both, and if I escape from this new and dangerous captivity. Oh, why did they not allow me to finish my captivity? Was it as a punishment that I was exiled to my chamber? to that delightful country in which abound all the riches and enjoyments of the world. As well they might consign a mouse to a granary. Still, never did I more clearly perceive that I am double than I do now. Whilst I regret my imaginary joys, I feel myself consoled. I am borne along by an unseen power which tells me I need the pure air and the light of heaven, and that solitude is like death. Once more I don my customary garb, my door opens, and I wander under the spacious porticos of the Strada della Po. A thousand agreeable visions float before my eyes. Yes, there is that mansion, that door, that staircase, I thrill with expectation. In like manner, the act of slicing a lemon gives you a foretaste that makes your mouth water. Poor animal, 
take care. End of a Journey Round My Room by Xavier de Maistre Translated by Henry Atwell